This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm joined by Max McClure, who is the Senior Vice President of Underwriting and Reinsurance at Steadily. Steadily are a landlord property insurtech business based in Austin, Texas. And it's a pleasure to have Max join us on the show today. Welcome to the show, Max. Hi, Nick. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited to dive into the world of insurtechs and insurance. Should be should be a, a very good discussion. Yeah, certainly should be, Max. Certainly should be. Really looking forward to hearing some of your insights around the insure tech and the traditional insurance market as well. Before we get on to that, though, Max, would you mind giving our listeners a little insight into your background, into your career background, and what led you to joining Steadily? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so I've been in the insurance business for, my goodness, a little over, I guess, getting close to 12 and a half years. So a good bit of time. Um, I spent the majority of my career working for specialty wholesalers, admitted and not admitted carriers on primarily on the property side. I did a stint with State Farm, which was really informative in their commercial underwriting department. Really enjoyed it and quickly realized that that was not going to be entrepreneurial enough for me. So moved on to some more uh, specialty uh, carrier, specialty markets, those types of things and joined steadily about a year and a half ago now. Awesome. And how's that transition been for you moving from more of a traditional insurance business to very much technology led company like Steadily? Ooh, that's a tough one. It has uh, been jarring to say the least. I think I was very excited to make the transition. I've been kind of watching from the sidelines for a few years, you know, various insure techs uh, starting out, watching their struggles, really wanted to jump on that bus and just so happened to uh, to connect with uh, Darren, who's our founder and CEO at the right time and was able to jump on board pretty early. But I would say, you know, overall, it's been an amazing experience. It's been five years of career progression knowledge condensed into a year and a half. I, I think that I, I generally knew what it was going to be like, but I don't think that I fully appreciated how that would actually play out in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know, I think you joined the business in the early stages, maybe as the sort of sixth or seventh employee. Now the employee numbers are are up over 70. So yeah, how the sort of evolution been over that time at the, at the business? So, you know, early on there was, you know, I was really tasked with launching our wholesale operation and basically nothing existed whenever I joined. So the the task of building something from nothing was very cool, 
and also very challenging, you know, trying to particularly one of the biggest struggles that we had was just the reinsurance market. It's gotten, it's way more, it's way more, it's way less favorable now than it was even 18 months ago, but it was still a challenge, particularly being a startup. So getting that capacity, convincing people to support us was a challenge. Early on, there was a lot of um, a typical startup. I was working out of a, our office in Austin was a two bedroom, one bath house, very, you know, very, very, very tight quarters, um, very uh, close interactions with all of our engineers. The leadership team was all, you know, we're all within 20 feet of each other, which was very exciting, very cool. Lots of impromptu conversations to solve really complex problems. And I would say the atmosphere is actually still, still pretty similar. And we are 70 plus employees now. We actually just moved into our our first, you know, what I would call like, you know, grown up office space. So it's a commercial office space now. We have real offices instead of, you know, working out of houses, which we've done for the last year and a half, but still a highly collaborative environment. We are 70 plus employees, but um, everybody still knows each other on a first name basis. I don't know how long, how much longer that will last, but um, still a very, a very um, connected atmosphere. Awesome. That sounds brilliant. It sounds brilliant. Very, very exciting time. And, you know, it sounds like been a very successful switch. Max, we are in the insurance coffee house today, which has been talking about the weather over 100 degrees there in Austin, height of the summer here in the UK at, at 20 degrees Celsius here. How's your coffee this morning? What's your go-to coffee of choice this morning, Matt? Well, yeah, I think I went through a transition about, we're in June, probably mid-April, where I typically, I'm not, I am not a coffee snob, although my my peers in the Austin office are, and they are very particular about the coffee beans that we use for office coffee. But typically before I come to work, I will just use a Keurig and get a cup of black coffee, no no sugar, no milk, nothing like that. But now that it's starting to get hot, I basically pour that coffee or I, I make the coffee and then I dump it into a cup with a bunch of ice in it and make myself a nice coffee. That is my my daily routine in June when it was 107 degrees in Austin this weekend. It was It was ridiculous. Yeah, very much needed, very much needed. That ice becomes um, in handy there. Max, thanks very much for that. If we can move on now then to Steadily, the business there, like we said, insure tech business for landlord property owners. Could you give our listeners a sort of a high level overview of where the business is now, maybe some of the markets that you're operating in? Yeah, a snapshot overview of the business would be great. Absolutely. So we... You know, we have a, a, an agency that operates in all 50 U.S. states. So we're, we're domestic only. We're not international. And then from a, from a wholesale perspective, we are now in close to 30 states with plans to be in 40 plus by the end of the year. Right. And you mentioned wholesale there. So is your distribution primarily through wholesale brokerage or what the, what's the distribution there? Yeah, so we have a few different channels. We 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 have our direct consumer channel, which is big for us, um, being an insure tech, and then we market through independent agencies too. And then we have partnerships with people like property management companies, those types of folks that we have existing relationships with that we're building out to. Okay, great stuff. And what does your product do? What does the the technology that you've built for for this particular area of the market. How's that been developed and what does that do? Yeah. So, you know, if you if you look at the landlord insurance market today, it is ignored by most of the big box carriers. You know, they've got a hundred different products there they have that they have. The landlord fits somewhere between 75 and 100 on their list of priorities as far as product goes. So what that what that leads to is a very poor 
customer experience. It takes days to get a quote, particularly from a, an existing agent um, or an independent agent, somebody like that. It takes a long time to get quotes. The platforms that are out there are just really old school, I would say. Even if you look at where homeowners insurance is today, which is a very comparable line of business, there's been a lot of progress in that over the last you know, five to 10 years. Less so with landlord insurance, that it, it has not caught up. Um, so I would say what we have focused on is building out the proprietary tech to make it much easier to get an accurate quote within seconds as opposed to days. Um, so that's a huge differentiator. And then when you get, when you actually dive into the landlord insurance market, most of the, a lot of the carriers that operate in this space today don't understand the nuances of that market. Like you call, you say landlord insurance and you're painting with a really wide brush. When, once you actually dive into that segment, there are half a dozen to a dozen different types of customers that need different solutions. And that has been Steadily's focus is how do we put all these different solutions in place for this market that has been really kind of lumped into, you know, one type of customer for a long time. Great. So it's really specializing in your marketplace and going very deep with the different products that you can provide and tailored accordingly to those different customers, as well as the speed of access. So speed of access either for the broker or for the customer directly to to get that quote and get get their insurance. You know, like someone with a homeowner's policy would, and um, that almost instant quote quote and bind. That's right. And you know what you'll see is a lot of landlord carriers, insurance companies don't really know how to rate it and price it. Mm. So essentially, what most of them have done is copied what they do for homeowners and apply it to landlord. And now they've been doing it for so long that they do now have experience that they can leverage to help you know adjust their rates. But the foundation of how they're rating and pricing the risks in the landlord space is, is false. There's a lot of false assumptions about what actually, what what underwriting criteria, what, what types of risks actually drive losses. So presumably the benefits then are all that speed, the accuracy of the pricing as well of the underwriting and also yeah that that sort of like tailored tailored approach would that be right that's right yes so we're you know working on you know proprietary you know cutting edge rating elements that mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll just give you an example that most most insurance insurance companies that do landlord insurance they will use some sort of credit based element to price the risk and that credit based element is based on the owner of that dwelling which is exactly what happens on homeowners. But the, the, the question is that we ask ourselves is, is that is the insurance score, the credit score of the owner of a property, how correlated is that actually to losses? On the homeowner side, it makes sense. But when on rental properties, when you've got a property manager who's typically doing most of the legwork, why does the owner's you know, credit, is, why does that matter? Is that really critical? like it is on the homeowner side. And those are the types of questions that we asked. There's dozens of examples just like that, but I just wanted to highlight that as an example for this discussion. So is it rated more on the actual occupiers of the property or of the the managing agents of, of the property? How is it more sort of tailored and more specific for actual the risks involved. Yes, and yes, you're you're certainly um, on the right track with where we're headed. You know, I'm not gonna not gonna give away our our secret sauce, but those are those are the things that we that we look to as being much more indicative of losses and, and driving towards underwriting profitability. 
Yeah, awesome, awesome. I won't ask you to reveal any company secrets on this podcast, Max. Thank you, <laughs> thank you Nick. I appreciate Don't that. Don't worry. <laughs> Your intuition is correct, though. Yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah, so we're on the we're on the right track. Essentially, we are rating risk differently, in your perspective more accurately. And that can either lead to benefits for the policyholders and stakeholders involved by savings on the premium or opposite way, it's going to actually be underwritten more, more accurately from your perspective as the, as the risk taker. So fantastic. During your time there, obviously the business has grown sort of tenfold since, since you started. What's been the biggest challenge you face so far as you've been looking to scale? There are many, but I'm going to focus on the people element because I think that's what that's going to be most interesting for viewers. So steadily, our culture is very unique. Even within tech companies, it is unique, especially versus traditional insurance companies and how they operate. But essentially what Darren did is he copied the Netflix culture deck. It's publicly available. There's been tons of books written about it. But we copied that Netflix culture deck verbatim initially. We have since updated it and made tweaks that fit our business model. But there's a lot of things in that that Netflix culture deck that we could talk about endlessly on this podcast. But one of the key components of our culture deck is we only hire top performers and we are militant about making sure that we do. And we pay top of market for those top performers. And a lot of companies talk about that. You know, we hire, we hire the best of the best or whatever, but you in as steadily the hiring practices reflect that we only hire the top 10% of people within any given for any given role. And it is painful. It takes a very long time to find people, you know, all the way, you know, it takes time to source. It takes time to interview, initial interviews, second interviews, uh, bring people on, on site for the final interview. All that takes a very long time. So I think you know, we have gotten to 70 plus employees, but just touching on that 10x number doesn't probably and like doesn't really convey how challenging it is to find top talent and then convince them to come on board. And something that I've underappreciated for sure when I joined Steadily is, okay, it is challenging to even find those top tier candidates, but then to convince them to join a startup that is inherently, in their perspective, much more risky than the op- other opportunities they're pursuing. This is generally speaking, some folks do come from other insure techs, but the majority are not. They're coming from legacy carriers and making that leap is challenging for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it sounds like potentially you could have scaled, you could have grown more quickly in terms of employee numbers had you cast the net wider and been happy to have adequate adequate levels of staff performance but you're really looking for those high performers and you're able to pay top dollar for that which is which is fantastic the challenge like you say for that is that those people are in demand and that they do have options out there so convincing them with your employee value proposition i'm sure has been very key in in landing those those high performers to the business um, which is great. I'd like to explore that further, actually, in the espresso round now, where the okay. questions are, yeah, where the questions short, sharp, and straight to the point. So, yeah, I know you like your iced coffee. Are you, are you ready for the espresso round, Max? I, you know what? Let me take a sip, and then I think I think I'll be ready. Let's let's do it. Give man, give man. The espresso round. How many people are you looking to grow the business by over the next twelve months? Within the next 12 months, I think we will double in size. 
The caveat being that I know this is espresso around the current economic climate certainly is impacting that. If you had asked me two months ago, that would have been my easy answer. Obviously, we're, you know, we're, we're having to be responsive to the current economic climate. So I'll, I'll include that caveat. What are the culture values? You talked about high performance. What are some of the other culture values that you're looking to build there? So you know, typically, whenever I'm doing my preliminary interviews with candidates, I'll share what I typically share there. It is We are huge on providing context for employees and not controlling outcomes. So context, not control, is something we talk about steadily dozens of times a day individually. It would make no sense for a company like Steadily to spend all this time to find, attract, bring on top talent, pay them top top money, and then tell them how to do their jobs. We provide, provide our people with all of the information they need to be successful, provide them the tools that they need to be successful, and then let them go do what they do best. Um, so that's a huge part of our culture. Another thing that we share is that we are a we consider ourselves to be a professional sports team, not a family. There are lots of companies out there that you know promote a, cult, a family atmosphere. We think that's great. That's their culture. It's not ours. We want to be the equivalent of the New York Yankees of baseball in the insurance world. So what that does not mean is that we are a cutthroat environment. Yes, we have we have high performers in every seat. It is a very collaborative atmosphere. We. There is no, at Steadily, there are no, there are no average, below average performers that have been able to sit in that seat for 10 years and kind of, you know, just, just ride it out. That's not our culture that that wouldn't fly here. So that those people don't, we don't hire them because our hiring process is so rigorous. And if we did, that wouldn't, they wouldn't be here for long. Um, so it's very refreshing for Steadlings is what we call ourselves to work with top performers in every role. So I would say those are the major things that we emphasize with employees on a daily basis. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's that professional sports team culture environment that you're building there is fantastic. It's certainly not going to appeal to everybody. You know, a lot of people would prefer to be in that family environment. But if you're very clear on that, and that's the way that you are going about being, you know, high performance based business, then that's fantastic. Because they're, they're the people that you want to bring into the business and make potentially some of the people who don't fit into that culture wouldn't be a good fit. So I think that's great. And I'll, and, and I'll just add, Nick, that it, it is, was definitely a mind shift change for me. You know, prior companies, like when you, when you interview or talk to a candidate, you want every candidate to walk away and really want to come work for your company. Mm. At Steadily, we are, we are content and even happy when we have conversations with candidates and they tell us, hey, this is probably not a fit for me because it, you know, it's good for the candidate. It's good for us to understand that like it's not a cultural fit. And for those candidates that are really excited, we, we like that when they walk away that way too. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I think that's how things should be, for sure. How do you go about maintaining those values and that culture when you are scanning quickly? And you know, there are changing nature in the way we're now working. A lot of people are working more remote. How do you go about doing that as you as you also grow quickly? You know, I'll start by saying we are a COVID company. So we were launched during COVID. So we never knew anything different. So there was no there was no change that really had to take place like midstream while we were growing or while we were, you know, developing as a company. It's always been that way. So I think that's one thing that certainly helped us. And then the other is the, ca- the caliber of people that we hire um, certainly helps overcome that hurdle. Um, I think when you're dealing with top talent, they understand what collaborate, how, how to collaborate, what collaboration needs to take place, and the value of that collaboration. 
Um, yeah. So I think that 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 answers your question. Another thing I'll highlight on our culture deck is that we we actually express this. This is actually written for in our culture deck. We do not hire smart assholes. So even though we are looking for top performers, um, we 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 will not hire someone that we think is going to create a poor team atmosphere. And then you know people don't want to collaborate when they're working with people they don't like. So we're very aware of that. So it's very much starting right back at that recruitment stage. So it's bringing in the right people. Also, like you, you mentioned earlier about giving them room to sort of express themselves to do their job, not micromanaging them, not controlling them, which I think is fantastic when you give people that freedom. Often that's when they, they do perform at their best. What's the situation there with remote working or hybrid work? And I know you're you're in the office today in, in Austin. Do you have a mix of people in the office, uh, people working from home? How do you sort of give people enough FaceTime that they're looking for? How do you go about balancing that? So 50% of our of our employees are full-time remote. Our two, our two hub offices are in Austin, Texas, and uh, Kansas City. And so 50, 50% of our employees aren't in those markets at all. So they're full-time remote. And for the employees that are in either Austin or Kansas City, we ask our employees to come in three days a week and be remote the other two. How have you found those conversations with, with some of your team? Has that been something that people have really bought into? Have people, some people wanted to come come into the office five days a week, others maybe preferred to work from home 100% of the time, or has that worked out pretty well? You know, since I've been here, I have not had, we have not had any complaints. I mean, when we say like three, you know, three days in, two days at home a week, I mean, it's not like we're sitting there tallying that. So if an employee needs to work from home, like all week, and then the next week they're in, you know, three or four days, that's perfectly fine. I wouldn't say yes. that we're, we're strict about how we enforce it. Yeah, nice, nice. It sounds like a great working environment that you're building there. Penultimate question of the espresso round, Mac. We talked about bringing people in from insurance, traditional insurance, incumbent insurance companies. What type of value can they bring to business like Steadily? I think that you know you see you see insure techs that that are out there that have, in my opinion, skipped a step. So they they want to they want to enter the market. They want to disrupt it. They want to they want to innovate but they don't necessarily understand what made all the existing traditional carriers successful and profitable for many years. And that is an important step to take. You need to take that step before you innovate and you disrupt and you modernize a market segment. So I think that those, those people that are out there that are working for those traditional carriers, they can, they can come into a company like Steadily and make sure that they at least have the context of why things have been done historically why they have been done and not just casting them aside as being old school and not needed. Yeah. Some of those real basics or um, basics of a successful insurance business, I think are really, really fundamental there. Completely agree with you regarding that. It's good to have that balance between the tech innovation and that, and that insurance expertise. Max, if there are any insure tech leaders out there at the moment, and perhaps they're in the the stage you guys were in a couple of years ago, where they've, they've got five, six people in the business there, they're looking to scale. They're looking sort of 10x like you guys have done there. What would you say are the foundations or the infrastructure that needs to be in place in order to make sure that is a successful scale-up? Do you, do you have the right people on board? That's what I would ask, number one. It's, it, it's going to take the right people with the right mentality, the right knowledge that they're bringing to the table. I would say that's critical. And then you have to ask yourself, 
are you really doing something that are you really working towards something that is different and better than what's currently in the market? There are a lot of insure techs, in my opinion, that start um, and they don't necessarily have a clear picture or at least they're not able to convey to other stakeholders like investors, ranchers, whoever it is, how they are going to be better than what's currently out there and doing it profitably. So I think like really honing that not only the, the pitch and how you communicate what you're trying to do to stakeholders, but actually doing it. Because in this climate, um, macroeconomic climate, reinsurance climate, you've got to really be good at what you're doing. And it's got to be something that other people can see for you to be successful. So I think that would be my advice. Got to be able to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Max, thank you so much. That's fantastic. We've almost reached the end of our time together today in the insurance coffee house. But I'd like to ask you a couple of things before you go. First of all, what advice would you have for any other insurance leaders who are looking to make that transition that you've made from incumbent insurance, from that traditional insurance market into an insure tech? And how would they go about reaching out to you after the show? I would say roll the dice. Uh, I know we're in, a, in, in, in an industry that is, you know, some would say is risk averse because we're all about, you know, uh, mitigating losses, you know, underwriting profitability, avoiding claims and whatnot. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be risk averse in your career. If you're, if you're, if you're bored, if you've been doing the same thing for a long time, if you feel like your company is stagnant and you're looking for something that's new and exciting, and going to be very challenging, then I would say roll the dice. Um, as far as how to do it, I mean, I think even though the, the economic climate is changing and there has been some, some layoffs recently in the insure tech space, people, insure techs are still hiring. The, the need for talent is there today and it's going to be there for a long time because as we all know, the, there is a huge talent shortage in this industry and we know that that's going to go on for a long time. So if you're wanting to make the jump, um, now is as good of a time as any, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to you know, coach you on how the, the, the best way to go about looking for the right companies. Awesome. Thank you. That that advice is is great. And I think it's just really important to get out there to those insurance professionals that, yes, there have been some layoffs in, in the market over the last few months, but there's also been plenty of layoffs in the mainstream insurance market. It just doesn't make the news headlines quite as much as it does for some of these technology companies. So thank you thank you for that max i think that's great advice i think rolling the dice and you know the the opportunities are still there if after a year or two if you don't feel like actually that technology business or that insure tech is right for you you know you can certainly go back to combat insurers but with all of that knowledge and experience that you've gained working at a, at a fast-paced insurance business so so that's fantastic max thanks for, thanks for your time today i think it's been really interesting discussions been really Great to hear about the high performance culture that you're building there at Steadily and a lot of the benefits that you are providing for landlords and yeah, rental property owners out there in the US. Really interesting discussion today. Yeah, Nick, thank you very much for having me. That was a great chat. Enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Max. And yeah, to all the InsureTech leaders, to all the insurance leaders out there, wherever you're listening in the world today, we thank you for joining us. I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learnings from what Max has had to say today. To all the insurance and insure tech leaders out there, wherever you are listening around the world today, we thank you for tuning in and I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learning from our guest today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app. 
each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or I'd like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House Global Insure Tech Series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.